0: Hello and welcome, especially welcome to our live viewers. Let us know in chat if you're here with us. Adrian. Hello. Hello, everyone. So today, we, last week, we just finished up the topic about the management design. And this week, we're going into a new topic for the next few weeks about engineering culture. So we'll be talking a lot about the habits, the tactical side, and also the incentives the leadership styles that make or break tech teams, engineering teams, product engineering teams. And with me today is Adrian, who is an outspoken expert and very much a a loud voice recently on pull requests and lean procedures and needless rituals and needless, I would just say, ceremony around certain activities, which may or may not be productivity oriented. And John, why don't you introduce yourself for viewers? Uh,
1: first of all, thank you very much for having me today. Um, I was really looking forward for this one because this is exactly the topic, as you said already, uh, which I'm talking about uh, lately. So actually, you not know, lately; it's, it's, um, it's quite a while now. And let's say I, I, I call it tech culture, you call it engineering culture, but in my opinion, this is the you know the very foundation of. Every organization where humans are involved in. So even if we talk about tech and I and all this kind of stuff, everything depends on if our organization is working on the cultural level. So this is basically the fact. So why is this my topic? So I'm basically a small to medium-sized business CTO for now 15 years. I'm a software developer since 24 years now. And I saw a lot. And especially in the first years of my professional being, I was solely focused on tech and solving problems so most i think most developers out there know that so you have your your problems there you have your pressure from outside the business side is doing pressure colleagues your supervisors all this kind of stuff and you need to get things done you are in this tunnel you 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 just you know tunnel through through your day Mm -hmm. but at some point as the older you get you know on some point you realize that, as I said before, it's more to that than just uh, that. So you basically don't get out of your problems if uh, you don't have a beneficial culture of learning where now everyone is actually helping each other to get out of these problems and all this kind of stuff. And as I grew into uh, more responsibility in the last 15 years, step by step, especially in the last five years, I realized that I could have solved most problems in the past with focusing more on the cultural aspects, on the human aspects, on the human basics. culture so in my opinion especially for all the ctos out there you have a tech in your name but you are responsible for the tech culture as well so i would listen to this one might be some interesting stuff for you it will be controversial so be kind to us but there is uh, it's based on experience it's not just an idea we have so we want to talk about this today thank you very much
0: So you touched upon a lot of things. So who is this not for? So you said organization and collaboration. There was a lot of learning, a lot of collaboration, a lot of helping. So if you're a soloist, this this does not apply to solo engineers, like a solo, somebody working solo. Does that still apply? Would somebody working solo do pull requests? Would somebody working solo do...
1: Yes. So uh, when it comes to pull requests, maybe, yes, it is not necessary, but the cultural aspects, the general ideas behind that, you know, mm-hmm. when we come to things like maturity, responsibility, you work solo, but you work for someone or with someone outside
0: Fair. of your. So there solace. is always, a, you yeah. know, if you're not yeah. the main, if you're not a solopreneur and there there is a stakeholder involved that, so one plus is already you're in. Like there's no way around what we're gonna talk about today. If it's like one plus, yes. Okay, Let's agree on that. Let's agree on that. Okay, so I just want to frame our discussion today a little bit. And you mentioned small medium businesses. So that's mostly my my area of exper- expertise and experience as well. So to our viewers, hello, hello Fung. Did I Fung? Or did I pronounce your name correctly? Hello, welcome. So we're we are gonna answer your questions as they come in. If you have a question, if you have a question to me, to Adrian, Adrian is also very much versed in things like cloud setup at DigitalOcean and also up- setting, setting up engineering culture. So if you have any questions related to that or pull requests or engineering in general or multitasking, which will be our last topic, let us know immediately and we'll address it immediately as much as we can. Most of the meat happens in the first half of our session today and we have 90 minutes and we'll stop at the 90 minute mark today. So what we're going to talk about today, there's three topics on the agenda, and we'll focus on the first two. The first being, what what does good, healthy engineering culture look like? Because it seems like there's a lot of stuff in the books and a lot of stuff on the internet and on YouTube, and a lot of advice that is being sold as standard practice is actually bad advice, or it might be very circumstantial and sort of have to still think and scrutinize what is being sold to you, especially with the whole certifications going on and safe and similar. Second topic will be focusing on pull requests. No, some ceremony, whether it's necessary, not necessary, alternatives, when it's good, when it's bad, and why you should usually avoid it if you can. So that's the main two topics. The third topic will be specifically about monotasking. So it it is a very, very sort of agile, lean way of thinking about collaboration in a team. And monotasking you can think of as being the opposite of a feature factory. Feature factory being seven people working on seven things. Monotasking is everybody's working on one thing, All right? So that that, that we are exploring that spectrum if we have the time for it. So everybody who's with us live, let us know you're here. And Adrian, let's start off the first. Let's start off the first topic. Well, what does go ahead. How did you find out what? It, what works and what doesn't work for engineering culture? Like, where do you go when you're when you're in sort of when you have an unanswered question? So you mean when 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 yes. I need
1: to learn, when I need to you know get some solution for my problems? Yes. Okay, uh, a good question to start with. So there are you know endless possibilities uh, to do that. But I think the key is to find the possibilities which actually bring you forward and not mm-hmm. add other problems to you. So we all know things like Stack Overflow. A uh, Stack Overflow. If you have technical problems, you always get some idea there about mm-hmm. some, how others solved a s- mostly similar problem. And need to you need to, need to transfer this to something. And yep. then you have AI today, where you can ask questions and you hope you get something which is actually real. Mm-hmm. And there are what I. basically basically prefer is to not do that at the moment when you really need help. So first of all, we are software developers, which first of all implies that we are not programmers. So we are not doing just technical stuff. Mm -hmm. We are developing software, which means we need to obtain and and learn some software skills as well. And this is this idea of being a eternal learner, the continuous learning idea, all this kind of stuff. So if you have a problems in two weeks, you should have today laid the foundation to 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 find a solution for that already. So this this is what I I would put in first. So first of all, you need to in develop a behavior of learning and the understanding why you should learn. So always understand first before you actually do, and then you can with that you know you build up step by step this broad variety of of things you know already and those will help you find the right spot so there is no single platform which will help you of course you can ask a question somewhere on some social media platform or something mm-hmm. like that the problem is or that the chances that people will ask um, the question or answer sorry will answer the question with a product they have or a you mm-hmm. know service product they have and they will sell it to you as the you know best you know, because 10 others do that at the same time, at the moment, it's a trend, and they sell it to you as the best solution. But it's may not it's may not be the best solution for you. you need to understand first, that you have your requirements, your qualities or non functional requirements, and your special context, the context is somewhat important to understand that your context is unique up there, no one else mm-hmm. has exactly the same context. So in order to be prepared for your own context, you need to learn step by step, but continuously to act on this context, to solve problems, because there will not be only once problems. You will be, you know, you will, problems will be fired at you and you yeah. need to be, you know, if you want to grow, your problems grow with you. And, and in my opinion, it's basically the continuous way of doing that. Mm -hmm. staying on top of your game, and then you actually know what you do. There is no specific thing out there. What a good thing is, I wrote, I have that actually myself, is to have a buddy, you know, to have one or two buddies you communicate regularly with, you tell them stuff, you talk with them about things, and this is just, you know, they, they know about your problems, they know about your context, and if you ask a question to them, it is more likely that they give you a genuine answer and a good answer or a you know, a hint where you what you can yeah. actually do. So I hope that answered the question.
0: I, I like this last point that you just brought up about this idea of a buddy, because a lot of times when, I, so when I'm coaching teams and leaders, usually it's the leader doing the buying decision. And I can see that there's a hint of, they are they're also buying it for themselves, right? Because the CTO space, like any kind of top tactical mm-hmm. and top strategy position, even if it's C-level or if it's just a CTO title in a startup, and it's really just a founding engineer or a VPE, these positions are generally unique in companies. And there's there's no other peer that you could learn from or collaborate with or be mentored by, right? So it's, it's a very lonely position. It, it can also happen with product positions where you might have one product owner and that's it. They have no reports. They have no structure. They just do their one thing and they're... Uniquely, that especially in small companies, in small organizations, that's so very hard. So I love that you brought up this idea of having a buddy. Like you need somebody to talk to. You need you can't be in your own bubble. And that brings me to the the idea that you mentioned preceding that that this selling stuff. Um, I think we consultants often get accused of what AI is actually get accused of of hallucinating that we are selling a solution that is that does not touch reality, mm-hmm. that it just seems good on paper, but we're not actually actively pra- practicing because we're consultants. And so our input is, how would you say, either unfeasible or unrealistic, or it is not based in reality. Whereas the opposite side has the opposite problem. The team actually, the, the buyer in this case, has the opposite problem. They only see their own team. So they don't know how everybody else in the industry works. So they rely on outside research to know, okay, should I follow this? But then there's a third downstream problem of this. And you highlighted this perfectly. Because then what do people do? Oh, they look at Google. They look at Facebook. They look at all these big companies. And it's like, okay, what do they do? And let's adopt what they do.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And that's crazy. Like, that is the worst thing you can do. Because Google, for example, has more engineers than a small country.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: They need a, a governance, level, like a country, a state level. Google has more engineers than most U.S. states have citizens. Like, it's huge to think that you need that level of structure and engineering culture. What is, I mean...
2: It's you can't even replicate.
0: <laughs> Never mind that you need it. You yeah. can't even replicate it. It's too expensive to replicate. You can't replicate an entire system governing a quarter million people and apply it to a team of five. Because you just can't. There's just too much things that you don't have time for to actually do. And then a lot of people, a lot of engineers, just look at yeah, it's like yeah, Fang hires like this. They promote like this. They run their processes like this. They don't do testing. They do do testing. It's data-driven, it's not data-driven, it's quick, it's dirty. They have billions of users, so 1% is already a huge fan. <laughs> you know, then you have a little SMB and it's like, well, well, we have two users and most of them use our software on Thursday and we want 99.9995% of <laughs> you know, It's silly. So that's really hard because then, then you get things like Agile and then you get things like Lean, which really are just principles. They're not a framework. You know, So they don't tell you the architecture of your team. They tell you the let me zoom out a bit. They don't tell you the architecture of your team. They tell you basically this: is what you just said. Figure it out for yourself. And I think a lot of leaders just are either overwhelmed or too inexperienced to, to do this figuring it out for yourself. Mm-hmm. Or they might see, or they might be seen as incompetent for saying, "Hey, I don't know, but we'll figure it out." And that sort of lack of trust, lack of goodwill, then causes these these You know, the don't invent it. You know, not invent it here. Just copy it, and then it's being copied and applied badly. And then everybody does. Oh, we do Scrum kind of, but our own way, or we do Agile kind of, and our own way. And everyone
1: suppose. is everyone is doing kind of, kind of, in, yes in, And this is this is the, the the thing is everyone does have the the unique custom context, but most yes. of the people uh, treat it like no, it's basically uh, something which is a pattern. So. You know, there are people out there, when you take a look on LinkedIn about, mm-hmm. you know, you you, you mentioned Scrum, uh, sorry, Lean Agile, but you can do it with Scrum as well. You have posts like, don't use Scrum, Agile is something different. And exactly. some people referring to the Agile Manifesto. Most people don't, never re- read that pamphlet. You know, it's like...
0: Or the Scrum yeah, book. Like the Scrum yeah, or Scrum, Scrum book or, it, yeah.
1: you know, any any kind of DevOps handbooks or something like that, yeah. which goes into a similar direction of methodologies you know the yeah. problem with methodologies they are let's say theories they are not more than theories they are theories. frameworks
0: solving a very specific problem in a very specific context in a very specific size of company exactly Usually when you open these books they are for a large public company exactly. which has 17 different departments and then one of them or five of them to collaborate in this and that manner
1: yeah you you don't invent those in in a a three people company you know and say oh everyone's using that now so you and if you you do
0: you'll run slower than if you were doing something on your own
1: exactly and i think that's the and this is what i what i never really understood is when i take a look at linkedin the audiences there the audiences of others the readers the listeners the watchers most of them in in smaller to max maximum medium-sized companies but everyone is talking about corporate level architectures technologies frameworks methodologies and this Mm -hmm. is actually wrong and this is why i say basically so often the word context you know it is not your context so stop arguing about which is the best framework for your three people the best framework for your three people is talking to each other Mm -hmm. you know if you have a problem tell it if you have a question ask it and if you got asked answer it. So this is a framework already. And that works. Mm-hmm. And this is I, I made several videos about that, because I'm I'm often quite angry when I request things. I really have to say that, because and maybe it is a controversial day. So I'm, I'm I think I, I should say this today. It is about, we are all doing business, even developer are doing business, they think they're doing tech, but in reality, they're creating you know, values for business. for a business product. Yeah. There must be a business outcome. So, so true. We, so true. Exactly. So we should not think about which is the best framework we can work in. Which is which is the best language? Yeah. Shall we use TypeScript or JavaScript? I can't hear that anymore. It's so it's a little bit boring. to be honest, it, it doesn't have um, any value to to business to a business outcome. And in my opinion, we should think more about what can we actually do to, to sustain businesses. So mm-hmm. that workplaces, jobs, and all this kind of stuff can be created. When mm-hmm. when I when I create a LinkedIn ad for a for a for a position, mm-hmm. you get up to th- eight hundred, um, let's say, applicants in two or three days.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So you know, and you, you next time you do that, you get them again. So what can we do as tech leads, CTOs, and developers, senior developers or whatever, to create new jobs? And this is to create better products yeah. to sell more. And not talk about, shall we use this language or that language? Or is uh, PHP dead or not? Is, 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 I, I'm, it's not interesting for me anymore to talk about that. Yeah. And uh, so to, 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 to round this topic a little bit up, LinkedIn is not a representation of real problems in a business, which is the thing why so many real CTOs and CEOs of larger companies are really communicating on that platform. They read. This is the typical shadow audience, how they are called. But yeah. in reality, they are in small groups. I am in those, in some of those groups yeah. and they are talking all day long inside there, but nothing uh, because it is, as you said, they are in a pretty lonely situation because they face yeah. the real problems. They get the real pressure from the market and they need to make um, decisions for five to ten years,
0: which you cannot just revert. And, and their um, situation is not textbook they need a custom tailored yeah. solution to them and whoever they are talking to needs to understand their context yeah whoever yeah. they're talking to needs to needs to needs to be aware of what their context means and so that their context is more important than the textbook's implementation exactly and and
1: those those books and podcasts and posts on LinkedIn are great as theories so we should not make them too practical in yeah. my opinion this is the reason why I don't No, I don't do hands-on on on LinkedIn, because if Mm -hmm. I do that, it is so specific that no one really can do something with that. And for example, so uh, yeah, I I like the ideas behind that. I I like that people understand and learn about things so that they can transfer the ideas, Mm -hmm. pick the right ideas for their context, and apply them, test them, try out, find the right way. But before you make real decisions, long-term decisions, Understand what you do. There are so many CTOs and alike out there who are yeah. struggling with the decision of with their decisions of 12 months ago, and they yeah. cannot revert it. And this is something I really want to say, especially please on those on those architectural posts. You know, go for modular, monolith, or microservices. Think about what you actually do. You will not revert. You will not switch your architecture. You won't. It, no matter what people say, you won't do that. Yeah. So think upfront 5 to 10 years this is your decision range. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm We already a have a video. few <laughs> comments.
0: We already have a few comments in chat. So yeah. Christian mentioned he's made a comment on monotasking. It seems to be liking your approval on monotasking. You want you want to comment on that. We also have a comment from Raul, but does it, agreeing with you just which is the best x that works for us. So coming into to context and a comment from, sorry, Thomas, Thomas Eichinger, um, your profile is private. Uh, so to use an ecosystem, Java JS for specific business, problem is important. Each ecosystem has benefits and jobs and need to be decided by the business what to choose. I agree, what, what, what do you think about this? I, I saw a lot about this discussions about, you know, is the choice of the framework, is that strategy or is that engineering teams tool?
1: Okay. First of all, to clarify context for our discussion, we have yeah. the strategic level, we have the tactical level, yeah. and we have the operational level. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's definitely not an operational thing. So mm-hmm. it's not a decision of the developer because he had tested it out in a side project.
2: Great, and great it one. is
1: it is not the decision either from of the of the CEO of the company because. He saw that on a conference, and a good guy of him said he should, shall use this. So mm-hmm. it's something in between. So I would I would classify it as it is close to strategic, but it's tactical. Yeah. So you, you want to have a business goal. Uh, you have you know business goal that you have mm-hmm. um, you can set requirements. You can set qualities, and then you can say, of course, uh, okay, we have this now as our requirements framework. You know, mm-hmm. and what of those frameworks would likely fit best into that. So, for example, which is most often not the newest framework, because basically in every of those long term decisions, you have something like sustainability and you cannot take the six month old framework and say, OK, it fits into sustainability. No, it doesn't. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, You can't use that. So you need to go from the best thing is start with the qualities or non-functional requirements and go to the requirements and see that as a tactical decision, which uh, is then a decision which needs to be executed by the operational levels. Makes sense.
0: And I, I like that you mentioned this idea of it's something in between. So strategy and tactics. So it sounds like it's, it's almost product engineering, but more on the architectural level, but not just technology architecture, but also the architecture of the communication structures of how, how the teams are collaborating, how the how the the effort is being planned and executed, not just how the code is being shipped. I think that segue is now perfectly into our main topic of discussions because we wanted to talk about pull requests. So I don't know about I don't know about you, but I hate long pull requests, large pull requests that don't get closed. You know, from a lean perspective, you know, the, one of the worst. And I think you wrote on this today. It's like one of the worst things about lean is inventory. It's like you don't want code sitting on a PR, forever, mm-hmm. not being merged. Especially if then the urgency is gone. It's like, yeah, it was really urgent to make it. Now it's done, but now it's not merged. Now it's not being merged. There's no feedback loop. <laughs> what, what is your stance on requests When, when not, never? You know, are we extreme on this idea? You know, we are controversial, but are we extreme? Are we... Uh, so
1: when, when I start to... write, So, of course, there's some emotion to that because we went through uh, some stuff in our life and several iterations so in Mm -hmm. the first years of my my developer experience we still used no version control at all and then we used subversion or svn and there was um, trunk-based development was quite handy there because branching was quite complicated back then and
0: expensive and stuff
1: yeah yeah exactly so yeah yeah, you really yeah it was server-side and all this kind of stuff and then you know when, when git was a thing I don't know when we switched with the the main thing we did back then. I think mid, seven or eight years 2000s, ago. two thousands, two thousand
0: eight yeah, yeah. ish, two thousand ten. Yeah, but but but
1: for, but for me personally, I'm on. But, oh, um, I see. then then there was this kind where I think it was Atlassian with its Git flow diagrams, mm-hmm. and Oof. you know everyone knew this diagram thing where they have Developed, pages of, of and I thought, oh, that sounds good because several clients and several um, partners back then they they practiced that and they showed their their what yeah. was it uh, the sauce tree I think it was and they were so so happy this it looked like a like a tree uh, like, like a train plan. <laughs> on a yeah, translation yeah. Where, where everything is... Uh, very thought,
0: structured. <laughs> Recht <yeah>, und um, Ordnung. <laughs> it's it's,
1: yeah, yeah, very, thought, it's uh, very organized. <laughs> what do you actually see there? But yeah, Everyone was seeing something there, but I noticed back then already everyone was seeing different things there because yeah. it wasn't readable for a human what actually happens there. Six lanes to next to each other, seven lanes and uh, some people rebased, some people merged and some <laughs> people don't know when to rebase and all this kind of yeah. stuff. And um, we, we, we ditched that quite early, to be honest, because we were in a, in a small to medium-sized business context. So we had large companies as clients, but we were rather small teams. And we had the idea to, we need to get stuff out. So every, no one was waiting for us. Everyone wanted to have immediate things, get it out. So we were pretty early on in, the, in this idea of trunk-based development, even if we weren't used the name for it. Mm -hmm. So we just did it, let's say, and uh, we just had one branch or two branches, like a master and a development branch or something like that, and everyone was basically pulling, pushing towards that one, and since we did that next to each other, it was working quite well, I have to say. There was no stacking Mm up, and every time someone created a branch, this was a dangling branch. Even if it was merged already, it wasn't somehow, and no one knew, and as soon as you branch. You, you run into a strange situation and mm-hmm. because it's every, for everything is running so fast, you know, everything is so client driven, so business driven mm-hmm. that you actually need to get done in the moment when you are done and not later. Mm-hmm. So the idea of quality assurance is, of course, very important when it comes to large corporations, when you have certifications like SOC2 or something like that. I understand that when you are creating pharmaceutics, when you are you know, in a banking system or something like that, I understand that you need to have multiple layers of security and quality assurance in place. Mm-hmm. But let's stay shortly with a small to medium sized context where most people creating yeah. software for others or SaaS products. Or you SaaS don't products. need that there if you have good tests in place, if you have a good communication and culture in place. Then you are you create better business outcome outcome if you really do that that way. This is what we experience. So this everything I say today is personal experience as tech lead and CTO yeah. and business outcome. So I'm, I'm, I'm entrepreneur myself. So I'm basically accountable for everything what happens there. And we we had a better business outcome when we actually avoided to use PRs. Mm-hmm. And a little later when we when we got into this, we we made this from time to time, the CTO fellowship program, where we team up with other CTOs and and work on their problems is quite interesting. I I saw that exactly those problems, branches, code reviews, and the second backlog. There's this this second backlog. You have your backlog and you have a backlog on this side. And this side backlog, no one knows what happens inside there. On the left-hand side, this is pressuring. The right-hand side is not getting smaller. And this is, Basically, um, a problem for so many companies mm-hmm. out there because those are not, uh, you know, they're not done. People don't have time, yes. Yes. and uh, people, and, and when they get to it, because there's such a pressure on it to get this backlog done on some point, they just click it through, force push, force push. Force and force then I think to the, myself, so broken. what? Why are you doing that? You know, it's it's it's. And that produces pointless. low quality.
0: The more you then, the more you force it, the lower the quality. Yeah, and then you have of the volume.
1: Now, no, no. then they have clients who calling me or, or colleagues of me or a call center or something like that and say, hey, what's with my change? Uh, what change? I, I wanted to have a headline changed. A uh, headline changed. Okay. I take a look. Okay. This is a pull request waiting for approval. And I think to myself, seriously now. So, in the ticket is, change this to from A to B. And you yeah. see in your code as a developer, I changed it from A to B. Okay. Push it. Deploy it. Push continuous push. deployment. Get it to the client. You don't need to have an approval for that. Mm-hmm. If you need to have an approval for that or you're afraid to break the system, you have some serious other issues. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is not the PR thing which is really bringing you to the point where you can actually do that. Um, this is this is not what you do. So You should focus on flow, on business, and good mm-hmm. communication. Okay. I hope I, so, I hit the topic.
0: Yes. And I'm not interrupting you. I just want to Help you, because we do have questions in chat and comments in chat regarding mm-hmm. exactly what you're talking about. So let's let's start on Thomas's comment. I'll just read it out. Pull requests are only usable if you're a developer and have some robots programmers who are creating the code and you want to include the code into your app. Then I would say a pull request is good. Otherwise, if there are software devs who create code, then they follow coding rules and after checking the code rules by review, then the developer will merge it into the CI. Now I, I, I already see some discrepancies here. Thomas, thank you for the comment. What what do you think about this? Well what is the alternative to not doing pull requests? Let let's talk about that first. If if there's no pull requests, right? So for, yeah. for those for those there are there are people on our stream right now to whom pull requests is by far the alpha and omega of how you do software. They have never seen anything else. And if you suggest something else that does not include a review process with a pull request, it will Mm -hmm. be alien and controversial. So to show them that this is normal, what does a team look like that doesn't do pull requests?
1: Okay, I can give an example, a a real life example. Let's, Let's assume you have a team of five developers. A team lead, another senior, two mid-level developers, and two junior developers. So a totally mixed team. And you have a development branch. So you have a development branch and a master or main branch. And the main branch is basically deployed onto the production system via mm-hmm. CI/CD, And the other one is basically deployed with every push onto a staging environment, which is okay. a real production environment just with another database. So it's yep. a very simplified, small to medium sized business example. Yep. So you can, for example, first of all, uh, uh, let's say uh, make a pull request to actually make a live update. This is an option you can do because right. you There is another aspect to it. So uh, we need to differentiate. We don't, in my opinion, we don't need pull requests between developers, but it's a different thing between the team and other, let's say, other entities like clients or product owners. If they want to review because they need to show it to someone, Mm -hmm. this is something else.
0: So this is the reason So the difference between deployment, release, and perhaps merging, right? You can merge it to master, but not release it, or Mm -hmm. you can merge it and deploy it, but then have a feature flex, so it's not released, right? So right. we are talking right. about these different concepts.
1: Exactly. So feature flex are great options, but not always
0: applicable. So this is mm-hmm. a different topic. You might actually, still but... break things accidentally, so you might still need a level of
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Quality. And and sometimes, especially, you know, sometimes it's just, let's, let's say a lot of cosmetic changes, as I said, some textual changes, if, mm-hmm. Especially when it's get to front end things, then feature flags are very implicable. It's very hard to apply them because it mm-hmm. will get messy. You have so many feature flags then, and so you need to re- you know you pull that out on some time. I would so in my opinion, when you don't need continuous deployment from developer to the client, yes. and this, this is quite elit. So it, it, is, it, is, it is doable, but in my opinion, not really necessary. So if you have a good staging system in between, you have that already what you want to do. Yes. The idea is you ask me for an alternative. A developer, in my opinion, should be a mature person, uh, which means responsible. You know? Responsible and, professional, yes. Exactly. And responsible is the intrinsic motivation to do things in, in, in a way that actually no one needs to take a look over my code because I yeah. – I make it work. Otherwise, I don't mm-hmm. push my stuff. So, for example, there is no PR in place. I can push. It will be deployed on stage, and clients can see the test version of stage. This is the current the, okay. the current scenario. So there's continuous it's,
0: delivery, but it, it, there are two continuous things being delivered, and the thing that has the least oversight is the staging environment. So, yeah. there's no, there's no is, the branch isolation.
1: Yeah, Yeah, so to say. So yeah, exactly. And the point is that you as a developer with this responsibility, and when everyone is doing that, it becomes a team maturity. Um, Then you know that everyone who was pushing was actually making sure that this can work well. So yes. for exe- example, James Galen, who's posting or commenting on the, on the post as well, he's doing that in his company with self approval PRs. So that mm-hmm. would be a possible thing in yeah. our company. We basically do the same, but we just, you know, without a PR, we just say our commit, mm-hmm. we check our commit, we make our builds, we make our tests locally, and then we push. But then mm-hmm. the ticket is done for, for the developers. It's done. So we, when we push, a ticket must be done. And if mm-hmm. we cannot um, reach or you know fulfill definition of done, then we need to either ask someone or find a solution for that. For example, I am not sure because I'm a mid-level developer and I need to change something on the architectural level. So this mm-hmm. is something I think I, I should think not you do. do yeah. you know? And then yeah. what I do is I ask. I don't make a pull request uh, and hope that this person in the next two weeks. Ask, make it uh, synchronous. Answering. You
0: ask now. You interrupt yeah. somebody and go and ask because you're exactly.
1: blocked. Exactly. And, and this person then, because we have this culture in place, we have this commitment mm-hmm. that we help each other. And mm-hmm. this is important. I don't ask because of everything. I only ask when I really have a problem.
0: When you're actually blocked. Is, not just exactly. good, because you're and incompetent then, or lazy or like exactly. low energy or burnt out. Yeah. So Exactly. And, and, is,
1: and then, then, then you actually need to only have that, for, let's say, five maybe maximum Mm -hmm. of 15 minutes, and then you should get to the process where you're actually done.
0: Okay, so Balaj Hidaketi, I believe I pronounced it correctly, says you probably don't need PRs, podcasts, if you use unit testing and and have the right architecture, but accept your company. How many times have you seen teams using not using unit testing and having good or poor architecture? Don't use unit tests. So this, so this, sorry? <laughs> we don't use unit tests mostly. Yeah, uh, that is my experience as well. Unit testing is by far the last thing you need for continuous yeah. continuous integration. So this does touch on integration. And I think Muhammad has a similar point here. I joined the stream a little bit late, I'm a tech lead. I use requests not only for approval, but also as a way to show best practice to my team members. What will be the alternative? If I feel like I don't want poor quality code to be merged into our main branch and deployed automatically. Mm-hmm. Wow, this is this is such I think this is the number one reason why that is being used, sometimes for the wrong reason, why pull requests are still around. Yeah. Great question. I love that you asked this question. Thank you so much for asking this question. I do have a double, I believe you double double posted the question. There it's the same one, yes? No, it's not the same one. I do seem a little bit late I'm thinking, if I don't feel like I don't want poor quality code to be merged. I also don't want to miss the chance to mentor my team. Oh, so he edited his post. So review with the, with the benevolent uh, outcome of wanting to help somebody, let's say who's more junior, or maybe just two seniors sharing domain context about what this one knows and this one doesn't know, and then learning from each other, even if it's just peers and equally senior. What is the alternative if we don't do pull requests?
1: So, in in my opinion, so first of all, we don't say don't make code reviews. Or I don't say that. I just say don't make them or in an asynchronous way. So, first of all, what you can do is team up. So, if you ask a question to someone, hey, can you help me? Then it's basically a pairing. If two people are coming to help you, this is the thing of monotasking later, um, Mm -hmm. then you're actually swarming. You know you get a thing done so there's this in this devops handbook I think was it I don't know it was this end-on corner no, it wasn't a goal I don't know it was this end-on court idea so if, if there's a
0: serious left problem shift. I think that's I think that's left shift that's the devops
1: problem maybe and then then basically you pull the cord and you get this 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 problem out of the way and you go again and in that moment you transfer the knowledge to others and the other thing is when you have a continuous delivery continuous deployment whatever mm-hmm. a trunk base so you basically you stay in a flow And you have this maturity level, you have this competency level, and you are a responsible person. And you think, okay, I can push this now, Mm -hmm. but we need to talk on another point about that. You should still go into team meetings. You should still uh, talk about what went wrong, what went good, Mm -hmm. you know. And you should take examples and talk about things, but it should not be a criteria of actually deploying the code. You know, yes. um, so you always can do refactorings and improvements, but as long as you have the ability to roll forward, so assuming because of that outage happened, worst case scenario, an outage happens, yes, then people in this idea of the Andon cord coming together, monotasking, that that must be fixed, it uh, pipeline must be green again. Mm-hmm. And as long as you can do that, you are actually, let's say, fixed in up, let's say, between 5 to 15 minutes, depending on your pipeline. Absolutely. And if you have a staging system with end-to-end tests in place, mm-hmm. this will be caught by the staging system anyway. So, mm-hmm. in 99% of the cases. So, this is, in my opinion, those both alternatives or in combination are a better alternative than trying to solve this VR because everyone is telling to do that since Atlassian told us to.
0: Yes. And And, and what I see, so we have a Pankaj, Pankaj, has a question. Recently joined a startup. They don't have, they they heard from a startup. They don't have branches in their Git Repos. Is that monotasking? Do you want to address this short?
1: I don't see the question, right?
0: You recently joined a startup. They don't have branches in their Git Repos. Is that monotasking?
1: No, I no i wouldn't I wouldn't say that this is direct comparison to monotasking, so maybe I understand monotasking wrong because monotasking is the task, and the branch is another thing. So you can mm-hmm. have several, for example, you could work on several tasks on the same branch mm-hmm. but you can't work on the same task on the same branch, yes. so it this doesn't describe so there are diff- two different things. so the one is in v- in which type of version control. System you push, or let's mm-hmm. say methodology you push there. And the other thing is how you actually receive work and to tell someone mm-hmm. else and communicate on the ticket level.
0: Banash has a comment. He, he might be referring to a monorepo. So, a uh, yeah that's, a that's one just giant more... repository for, let's say, a backend or frontend, or all the microservices are all in one repository. Yeah. yeah. I... I but, but I would say it is an integration focused choice. It has nothing to do with whether the team is monotasking or not. Yeah. You know, Lean, yeah. Lean has this idea of in Lean and, and this idea of stopping the line and pulling the plug, that is a Lean slash extreme programming concept. It's this idea of what is the largest monotasking unit that, some, that you can put a team on, right? So when, if I'm cooking a meal, if, I, if I'm in a kitchen and I'm cooking dinner, if I, I can do everything by myself, then the largest monotasking unit is one. I can't put more people onto this task without disrupting the flow. If I put two people on, on it, it will slow down. If I put three people on it, it will... This is what Fred Brooks meant in his original mm-hmm. m- the, 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 the mythical man month collection of essays about just putting more people you know, putting more people onto the project beyond the monotasking limit. I think that's the phrase he, he was lacking, he didn't mention, right? So putting more people onto a a task beyond the monotasking limit slows the team down. And it's our job as leaders to figure out what is the monotasking limit for a task. And we should always set the team in such a way that the largest monotasking unit is working on a single task. You know, maybe you're, maybe you're building a bike and Mm -hmm. the bike needs a handle. The bike needs a front tire, a back tire, Uh, formula one, the formula one, the pit stop, the process of a pit stop, that's a monotask. That is one task that requires the perfect collaboration of seven people to perform. One thing is wrong, you stop the line. One thing is wrong, everybody's workflow gets disrupted. That's what monotasking is. And the the opposite to monotasking, to answer that question, is a feature factory where there's seven people and seven people are working on seven different things. So they have to interrupt each other or asynchronously interrupt each other and ask beg for collaboration through pull requests to sign offs to reviews to i don't know some people some companies have release rituals where everything is in branches and then you do that octopus merge into the release and then you review the release so i would separate out we have a comment here stating that Learning and teaching with pull requests or code reviews is a bad practice. And I agree here if we add context, right? So the better way to do it is to pair with the developer. If you wait for the pull request, it's already too late because all of the bad decisions have been made and the context under which they were made is now possibly gone. So the developer now has to go relive the pain and sort of go through it again because the pull request is too late, right? So I think if you go to minimumcd.org, I uh, mean minimumcd.com, you will see this highlighted. Number one, best way to do pull requests: don't do them. Just pair program. Do everything in a in a size two monotasking unit. Two yeah. pairs, three pairs, four pairs. Even if it's just I'm working on something, and Adrian, you're here sitting across my shoulder, or we're sort of huddling passively, in on Slack. And I'm just like, I'm typing something, hey, is that ready? Or maybe that's how I communicate with the front end developer. It's Mm -hmm. like, hey, I'm about to push this. We need to sort of sync up. If that is being continuously reviewed, that is already good enough. If that can't be done, number two, the alternative to pull requests is synchronous pull requests. Just review it the moment you create the pull request or you wanna merge. Like rather than creating a pull request and then assigning it to someone and then going away, yeah, but but if you
1: the, the, the big question is, do you really need that or every you know every push or change, you know wrapped up in a
0: pull request I'm to review a title in a test? I absolutely don't want to wait for for yeah, for, yeah. for review so, right. So that's so having that set
1: set up in your GitHub Actions setting as a as a requirement then it doesn't make sense to me. Absolutely,
0: you know? absolutely. And and to go back on this idea of tests and architecture, I think we're missing the point when we're talking about a sort of continuous QA. Like pull requests are not about continuous QA. Pull requests are about integration and collaboration. Like what we should, isolation in order to test something in isolation, that's good. What's not good is isolation so that seven people can work on seven different things at the same time. That's the problem. The problem is when seven people work on seven different things, the, the project should be in an extremely broken state, because that is the only way how they will force each other to integrate as fast as possible. The longer they stay isolated, the worse the essential merging duct that they occur, that they incur. And pull requests are already, you know, it's like a vitamin pill for cancer. Like it, it's, it's not the right level of solution. Especially, it's if more likely very to
1: it, it, it's more likely to went bad than it it will. You know, yes. be a successful yes. addition to your flow, you know? Mm-hmm.
0: So we had a comment here. Let me refresh real quick. So this idea that unit tests and behavior tests are needed, otherwise pull requests are needed, because otherwise who is looking if the whole system is working? So yeah, so this comment was what we talked about earlier regarding there needs to be like a red-green system. Like something has to say, yeah, you know what? Not deployable right now.
1: Yeah, I, I, I would do... I, I would like to to put something up front because this mm-hmm. is a problem, especially amongst junior developers getting into the the, the mid level. Uh, I face that quite often is that they really rely on their tests because yeah. of missing understand understanding of actual architecture and mm-hmm. so architecture is nothing for only seniors architecture is something you should understand quite early and into the architecture thing i would wrap the programming principles as well shout out mm-hmm. to uh, nicolas Ocket, who is a great person talking and, and teaching about that yep. it's it's something you really really uh, should think uh, and look into because for just want to say this specific example we just read as a comment so when you When you need to have a unit test in place to make sure that your specific change doesn't break the entire system, then you do something wrong per se, because your unit test is not made for this. Your unit test is only for this unit. So you cannot really say that this unit test will tell you anything about... It doesn't integrate
0: into the production environment.
1: So this this is why, in my opinion, because I'm more on the business level now and from this standpoint i say for me the integration tests so the critical mm-hmm. path in integration tests they must work but mm-hmm. if in a, a single unit is, is would be affected then first of all it's okay for me second it shouldn't shouldn't be the case mm-hmm. and there we come to you know coupling and cohesion you know the, the single responsibility pattern all this kind of stuff you need mm-hmm. to implant imply you know apply those things in order that you actually you don't need tests, actually. Tests mm-hmm. are a are a guardrail. They are not adding any value. So it's they are just to ensure that it's working. But it doesn't, you know, it's always best to not. So it's like, like a bullet. It's better to not yeah. get hit by the bullet than to have the best bulletproof armor. No.
0: You can't no? inspect quality. It you have to plan for it. You have to build it into the system. Once it's built, you can't you can't improve the quality just by inspecting, right? So that's exactly. why most QA processes are flawed. Exactly. And I see this. Yeah. And, and this is also very well mentioned. You know, we were just finishing up a book club today on implementing reading implementing software development. And they have a very good case study here, right? Where when when leaders set up incentives, you know, KPIs or even promotion incentives to find bugs, it'll incentivize people to create bugs so that they can fix them. Mm-hmm. But what QA should really be doing, QA should be preventing defects. On the entire value stream by working with the developer and prevent them from even putting them into the system. And that's mm-hmm. about requirements gathering. Like we need to define what the requirements are. Mm-hmm. So defects are less likely to, to pop up. And Balaj mentioned this as well. You know, key factor is maturity of the team, and you'll love this stick because you you wrote you posted on this today. Muhammad says, I don't have enough seniors on my team to make them do pair programming with other developers. Right? So this is the old my team is not mature enough for that level of autonomy what is your opinion on this
1: as i said in the very beginning uh, you need to lay the foundation today for the years to come which means uh, if you have today the problem then make sure that you start today that you have in some weeks or months this mm-hmm. pro- problem not anymore. So this is mm-hmm. this is something you should do now. Um, of course, you cannot, you know, magically uh, summon some senior developers into your team and say, hey, and even if you do, it doesn't mean that they are so integrated into the culture of the team yeah. already that is, you know, directly work from, from day one. So first of all, you need to cultivate the culture from day one. This is the mm-hmm. most important thing. And if you are a team leader, then it's basically not your fault. Go a little bit higher and ask, the supervisors, yeah. the C-level for a better culture in this place. This is, I say this as a CTO now, it is always, when something happened like this in my mm-hmm. organization, it was my fault, not your fault yeah. of others, that, that we don't have the right people there or something like that. So it's my fault to not foster that from day one. But of course, let's say, what can we do to actually do something about that? Of course, mm-hmm. pair programming is an expensive thing. So pair programming, especially if you do that, so, so for, for mentoring so for pure mentoring onboarding you cannot just do five minutes of pair programming a day you yeah. need to do that several hours a day and that means you have twice the costs at least twice the costs for a developer in that area for onboarding okay. purposes this is of course expensive and yes. when we stick to the context of let's say five to fifty people in a company this mm-hmm. is uh, makes a di- lot of difference so in my opinion you should implement a technical system then which allows you as i said to roll forward onto a staging system with with which behaves like a production system yeah. and you go in let's say every 2 or 3 days together with your small team and mm-hmm. talk about this. Talk about what happens. Let's go through the piper and say why, why was why wasn't this building actually why the tests were failing or there was a type error or something like that. Mm-hmm. So uh, or, or or somebody so, forgot
0: to run migrations and part of yeah, the deploys and automated. Like so
1: yeah. And then then talk about that and and then start to ask uh, your junior developers. It's not like the senior is not a policeman in this case. Exactly. Finding faults. It is more like the juniors shall have the feeling that they can mm-hmm. ask the more experienced person to every time without getting blamed or something like that. This is the reason why I hate this blame function in the IDEs. It should not be called blame function, Um, you know. Just inspecting
0: uh, where it it originated. Yeah, it is. What is is, uh, is the origin uh, of the,
1: You you need to see it that way. If a junior developer is allowed to make mistakes and is allowed to deploy on stage, not on production, that's okay, only on stage, and Mm -hmm. he does produce a problem, he or she, then it's totally fine. Talk about that. Make it make it a topic in a positive way, because most people in a team like this will most likely run into the same trap as this developer, or yeah. you know, was was doing anyway. So, in my opinion, it's again a cultural thing where mm-hmm. communication is key. Make people allowed to ask. Make people allowed to fail, and those are keys to, to, to encourage die. failure. Yeah, and then encourage you failure. will see. Allow, after them, ha-
0: allow them to make mistakes in a safe safe environment. And and then you will see
1: that that you will get your seniors out of your people you have
0: in a longer period of time on the longer scale. And this is such an important point, you know, because seniors are seniors and leaders are leaders because they make good decisions. And they make good decisions because they have a lot of experience. And they have a lot of experience because they made a lot of bad decisions in their lives and they learned from it. Right. So if your process, you know, Muhammad then follows up saying, with draft PR, my team can push their code in chunks so I can review it, even if the task is still not 100% complete yet, but pair programming will be the ideal solution, indeed, to make sure the quality is good and I can mentor my team without any wasted work, like you mentioned. And I think in a way this is benevolent, but you're also the problem. Like you're, you're the solution, but you're also the problem. See, the team should be able to push without you intervening. like Because if you're signing off on every PR, then mistakes might be prevented. So they need to be able to do mistakes and then learn what happens when they do a mistake. Like they need to, they need to do the thing they're afraid of more often. So they need to break production more often. Now they need to break production in a way that doesn't negatively affect customers. And that's a healthy thing. You know, Google breaks production all the time, but you don't know about it because they roll it out in such a way that is safe to do so and adriana you mentioned as well like you have this rolling out the stage and then rolling out the the, the production it's like Mm -hmm. if if you break stage and stage is very close to production uh, that's an important key here then definitely roll it out the stage see if it breaks and then continue but roll out the main branch not the feature branch roll out the main integrated artifact that will go out to the main system and do it as often as possible you want to minimize the delay between feedback cycles right so ideally you want I, if i if I write some code and it takes 15 minutes, I want feedback now. I don't want to wait two days until it gets reviewed and merged and deployed and then tested right that's too slow that's where all the productivity is already gone. you can't get it back you can't get it back by doing a retrospective right I, I think this touches upon and you mentioned something very important earlier if you if you're if you're being defensive and you want to be careful that's fine. But if you know you have this problem today, you need to prepare for it. And I see this so much where there are junior hires, you know, year one, and then the process gets optimized for juniors. And then the juniors stay juniors because the process doesn't allow them to grow Mm -hmm. because the process prevents them from doing mistakes. So they can't learn, which means that once a senior gets onto the team, because the juniors don't grow, so you will give up on it in two or three years and hire a senior. And then the senior won't follow the process because they will see that it's silly. And I see a lot of that, especially in small and medium businesses, in startups, in agencies where it's like, no, no, like, guys, this is not healthy. And in a way, that's also the controversial stuff that you and I met to talk about today. It's like when you put somebody onto, onto a process that prevents growth, that's in a way emotional, it's triggering. It's like, guys, this is not healthy. Like if I'm responsible for this change and it has to be approved by Three of my my manager, my team lead, my QA guy, and then that other person out there who's talking to the customer, that's not okay. I should be responsible for that. I was tasked with this. Yes, I can collaborate with people, but I should be responsible. I should, If I can fix it in 20 minutes, it should be out in production in 20 minutes if I can do that. The system should never prevent me from putting new value, new features into the customer's hands. And I think that's... I think PRs are the main problem with that nowadays. I think from what I'm seeing, I coach a lot of teams on this problem exactly. And I'm so glad, you know, I had an example of this this week. One of the engineers asked me, one of my also long, long one-on-one coaching clients, we have a lot of history. And they asked me, you know, we're we are, we, are, we are going away from PR slowly now with this team, but very slowly. They still have it, but sort of the, the restrictions are being taken away, taken away, taken away. So that, The team becomes more and more autonomous and they they asked a really cool question today. They asked me, Dennis, I think the PR is now almost ready. I got it. I tested it. It works. I want to merge it, but it got a bit big. So now I'm waiting for review. What should I do in the meantime? Because I know that they would normally start working on another task. And I told them, okay, you're ready for review. Call up the person who, who will review. Go pair with them now and just pair review now, after lunch. Just pair review with them and get it merged. Don't start in something else. That is the worst thing you can do. Don't parallelize. Because Don't, if you start, there's context switch. Then, then there's two things now waiting. The other developer also says two things waiting. So you just have this mesh of unfinished inventory laying around in the code base. And what happened is that they, they got immediate feedback. They acted upon it. They, then they realized that there was feedback to the degree that they actually had to go and work, work on it rather than doing the other thing and then it got merged. And then that's the best way to to go about it. When you're done, immediately go to the person who will review it and review it with them. If you can't find anybody, review it yourself. Do a self-review, just you go over your own code and review it and get it ready to be merged. If nobody gets there, merge it yourself. But at least go to the effort of reviewing what you created, you know. Do it it with the same level of scrutiny that you would go, of course there is bias and we can't go around the bias. But it's a very healthy sort of habit that is start starting to evolve about oh this is now done. what should I do with it well, get it into the customer's hands as fast as possible there, it's, there's, it's this, valuable.
1: Uh, there's this analogy when a housekeeper or uh, some someone some craftsman come come to you and repair something in your household you you know tighten the screws of your windows mm-hmm. and um they say goodbye and you say goodbye you never see this person again probably, mm-hmm. and uh, they don't tell you. In two days, there's coming my colleague and he's taking a look if I screwed it right, you know? Because, uh, <laughs> yeah. that, that doesn't happen. So, you know, it is, it is a problem it in IT.
0: They review it themselves.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a yeah. problem in IT that we lost a sense of responsibility in that case. So my very first job wasn't in the... I wasn't de- developer. this. To that time, I was some kind of doing that side hustle. It was yeah. 24, uh, 24 years ago. And I started basically... To doing in in, in a print house, I was I was working, you know, Mm -hmm. and there was no such kind of of approvals there or something like that. You were fully responsible for your work, and that was basically in all those areas as well. And when I got into the IT, and especially in the last five years, you see everywhere this. Everyone is hiding behind PRs, Mm -hmm. you know. I even hear that from freelancers that they really say, "Oh." I assign my PR to a person who's on holiday yeah, then I'm I do I'm uh, working on the next I, ha- thing. I have a free week off no one yeah. is doing something to me and, and that's this, waste this an is an
0: anti pattern you shouldn't do yeah. this and, and that's the biggest waste you know we, the McKinsey article recently you know really pushed off a lot of flack and let the like, this wave about me- trying to measure productivity and it's I think the biggest enemy of productivity is engineers working on something that is not mission critical and, and not deleting enough code. You know, if I, if I figure out that what I'm working on, let's say somebody requested it, and I'm shadowing an engineer who's working on this, and they start working on it, and it's urgent, and then the urgency disappears. Somebody requested it, and the urgency disappears. I tell them, can this go up today? Oh, no, no, but it also doesn't have to. They said it's not urgent anymore. And I ask them, okay, but should we still finish this? It's like, what do you mean? It's it's in it's in Jira. You know, why why not? I'm halfway done now. Because I tell them, well, you can save half of the remaining time that you would now waste if it's no longer urgent. Maybe they actually don't need it anymore. Because the problem the problem with a lot of product requests is if the team does not have a healthy habit of saying no to silly requests, they will be bombarded with somebody's wish list. And mm-hmm. nobody cares about their wishy-washy wish list. Everybody who has 100 things they want, they really only want one or two important things. It's our job to figure out what those one or two important things are and not bloat requirements, not bloat scope, not bloat a backlog. Having a backlog, you know, I, I hate when people create tickets and then they put them in the backlog. It's like, yeah, we'll get to that. No, it, it won't. This Disrespect. And, 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 and if it wasn't the backlog for three months, you should remove it because now you don't even know whether it's relevant anymore. Right. So as things age, this is super important. Go ahead.
1: Product owners or clients should not have access to the developer's backlog. This is so this is a some, wish list, yeah. yeah yeah it is it is it is an it, ideas dreams visions all this kind of stuff what I want to have on some day a one liner sometimes yeah. a screenshot just the link of another page do it like this this is this I, I saw all this you know and this developer sits there and suddenly he needs to become product owner himself. And yep. you know needs to be a designer on some point. Uh, this is not what you should do. You should create tickets where the developer takes a ticket and says, "Okay, I need to do. It. I know what I need to do, yes. and I know what my definition of done is. I see it yep. clearly here. My acceptance requirements in in an exact form, in a technical understood form, which means that someone in your team. This is always preferable, but I know it's not always possible, but." It is always good that some of your seniors or tech leads are filtering tickets or wish lists out into real, real tickets real, which your yeah. team is able
0: actionable. to understand. To make them actionable. Yeah. Right. Otherwise they're not actionable. If and I then you don't need code. From the ticket, yeah, exactly. And if I can't tell from the ticket when it will be done, based on the definition that's in the ticket, then I'm not even starting it. And mm-hmm. a lot of juniors and a lot of mid-level engineers don't know that. They think that they think that the perfect ticket has to be handed to them. And if it isn't, they start anyway, right? The, the path to growth is in saying no, it's like, like I, I'm not starting this ticket because I don't know what it means. I don't know what it looks like when it's done. Like, yes, mm-hmm. there's a bug and you want it fixed, but this this seems like intended behavior and you want it to behave somehow differently. I can't, right now, I don't have enough imagination to really understand why this was requested. And usually, you don't have these conversations. Because this you, is actually
1: you... uh, this is this is basically a issue in our industry for uh, let's say years already, and it comes from the time where software developers were just people in, on operational level, fulfilling tasks yeah. for the CEOs, product managers
0: back then, and, and it was those just were databases. The and it was just yeah. databases. Hey, the database. Yeah, yeah. I need a new view, I need a new output, I need a new report. This is what it should look like. Because yeah, it was declarative. It, the, yeah, because and- the because this the task being performed was declarative. The, there was very little compute going on, a le- very little imperative side effects going on, you know, because if you go to the pre-Web 2.0 era, it was just you know i have this data i want the html to be structured like this mm-hmm. so the tasks themselves were extremely data driven declarative they, they said i need a pdf that looks like this and the logo has to be there you know th- that's the make my logo bigger kind of jokes from the from the 2000s where that was actually 90 percent of engineering back then there weren't any com- complex issues to solve because the internet wasn't fast enough the yeah. cpos weren't strong enough and everybody was just Building things one page at a time. God forbid that we would have like a giant JSON being, you know, asynchronously sent over the wire to a mobile phone and then it destructures it and re-renders the screen. That was impossible back then. But nowadays, the even the ecosystem of how many libraries are being used is so complex that you really need to you need to be precise in the language. The person doing the request, the creating the ticket, has to be extremely precise in what they want. And if the ticket is not in that form, It is the developer's responsibility to nurture conversation and that's i think that's where this breaks down and if and if that is then being fixed in the prs that is not the right place to fix that because it's too late because the damage has already been done and you can't inspect the fix into the code
1: and this this is actually what is up there yes engineering culture uh, you see <laughs> that in the industry, yes. engineering yeah. culture. So engineering <laughs> culture doesn't mean that a culture between the engineers. It is engineering is a central part of a company which sells a SaaS product or something like that.
0: Almost so every company every, nowadays is a tech company. Everybody right,
1: exactly. Tech. So this is not like that. the The IT department is some McDonald's kind of McDonald's is a tech company. Everyone knows. And so we need to have or develop a culture which is, you know, the entire company is an engineering company. And the engineers or technicians or software developer or whatever, they are executing on the engineering level. But Mm -hmm. um, you need to find some specifications, requirements, and all this kind of stuff. It roots basically already, and let's say, on a product owner side, on the sales side, on all this kind of stuff. And it's all the same team.
0: It's the same value stream. Like, it shouldn't be siloed. There exactly. should be collaboration, not just between develop, not just pairing, ensembling. You know, you, you mentioned swarming with the engineers, but also with other stakeholders. If it's not clear, it's the business requirements are low quality, absolutely build quality into the business requirements first before you write any, any line of code. And I, and I see this a lot where engineers have this sort of imp- imposter mentality to them and they get stressed and their stress release is writing code. So when they're confused, they will go and write code to sort of brain dump <laughs> into the compiler. And, and I think that is one of the worst habits that I have to coach, to uncoach, essentially, with a lot of, with a lot of engineering teams, because maybe the leader has incentivized that kind of behavior. And then we sort of pincer it from both ends. Like, we'll stop creating incentives where that is encouraged, and I will help the team sort of overcome this this stress factor, this stress relief. Like we will make address the root cause of the stress, which is the, the initial stage, the product understanding, and their business requirements are not there. So they are being, the engineers are being pushed into a stressful state whenever it comes to integration, release, testing, QA, etc., because it's the quality at the beginning of the process that was lacking and they weren't aware of it. They're, they're not focusing on the right thing at the right time. Mm-hmm. Um, Adrian, we have 15 more minutes. There's a few more questions. That we didn't address yet. Where would you like? What would you prefer? Go for questions. Go for questions. Okay. Let's see. So we had a good question from Christian. 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 Christian Floresco. Sounds, sounds Romanian. Encouraging failure is a leader's vision. Who's responsible for mitigating perfectionists and dream killers among team members and also at the PR review? How do you understand this question?
1: Me so I understand it as actually it's going a little bit in the direction of what we say later. It was like who's actually make to be make accountable actually not really, accountable, really responsible yes. but accountable for for those perfectionists problems. Uh, but, but I don't really understand now. Do you mean the developers' perfectionism or the PO's perfectionism?
0: It it, it does seem engineering specific.
1: Okay, yeah, it's I fine. would say of course. Fine. Let's say we have a hierarchy on some point, even if it's low level. So you have a team leader somewhere. This person, of course, needs to make sure that the developers are onboarded well, are mm-hmm. working in, in in the right culture, in the right ways, with the right methodologies. Mm-hmm. And of course, not lose themselves into, you know, You know, putting way too much time and effort into something or write too many tests unnecessarily just to have a coverage which doesn't help you and all this kind of stuff. So I would say, of course, the next supervisor, but Mm -hmm. supervisors have their frameworks as well. So they're sheriffs.
0: They're 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 sheriffs. They're not not role models. They're not not role models. They're just policing. They're just enforcing the law, not making the laws. And that's sometimes that's problematic.
1: So first of all, and this is always the same organization, especially those on LinkedIn who's posting or reading there, you have, on some point, some kind of CTO, VP of engineering person, sometimes it's the same person. Mm -hmm. This person needs to take responsibility and accountability for what happens in the organization, but release a framework and requirements which have enough room for let's say some some self improvement and custom decisions per team to actually mm-hmm. fulfill those requirements but the requirements need to be in in a vision that in a that that there are incentives for not being too perfectionist yes. but not being too lazy either, either you know this is actually something very hard to describe in a sentence now because this is basically the job of the tech leader, of the organization. Of the, tech, of the engineering this
0: manager, CTO, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, this and, is very is uh, complicated, yeah, yeah.
0: And I had a conversation about this this week with one, this week and last week with one of the leaders that I'm coaching. And I'm glad that we touched on this. Because in a way, perfectionists can be measured. Right. So it's not that we don't, it, it's not that we want to stop perfectionists from writing high-quality output, and and providing high quality outcomes that are valuable to the client. It's not that we don't want that. What we don't want is to lose feedback. Is to say, I will stop communicating until it's perfect. That's what we don't want, right? So we don't want the communication loop to suffer because of the perfectionism. If you're striving towards perfectionism and you're deploying regularly, and you're doing it iteratively and you're communicating every day on like how progress is going and whether you're gonna course correct or when you're gonna stop or when do you even know when you'll arrive at perfect? Do we need to reassess that question every hour, every day? I have no problem with perfectionists. My problem with perfectionists is when they isolate on a branch, they don't open up PR and they work on something for three weeks. (laughs) And then they open up PR and I look at the PR, it's 4,000 lines of code and I just instinctively say reject it. Too large, too long, break it up, smaller too PR. Outdated. Too outdated. Yeah, you're not integrating anymore. Like you gave me your code to review, but your branch is now three weeks behind. You didn't even integrate it yet. Because you want me to review your code first so that we can refactor it to make it simpler, and then you'll integrate. That's such a wasted effort. Because in lean in lean software development, there's an amazing thing here called value stream mapping, and I encourage every all leaders to do value stream mapping.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It starts with a customer. It ends with a customer. You need to understand how the features are going, flowing across across this flow. Cause sometimes they, they go into a dead end, a customer requests something and they don't really want it. Then the developer will make it their mission to deliver it, even though it's no longer being that the market demand has gone away because it took to, I experienced this a lot and I'm sorry. For doing the second, third, fourth restaurant analogy, but if I order a steak or if I go for pizza and it takes three hours, I will walk out. And I don't care that there's a ticket, you know, in the kitchen saying, oh, Dennis's pizza. It will be ready in 40 minutes. I'm out. I'm no longer there. You can cancel it. I'm not going to eat it, even if it's halfway finished. Now, you might serve it to somebody else, but that is a whole different optimization level. And that's, in a way, how McDonald's works, you know? They know that this is the only product we have. It's a commodity. This is one product. So we'll just, it's a feature factory. We just produce them. We know we know approximately how many we need. We just crank them out. And then once the volume increases, we crank out more and create inventory, and then we serve them. But that is commoditized. Software is not like that. You can't just keep pushing out features, expecting them to have market demand. Mm-hmm. And especially if the feature was requested, and then there was this low-quality design process, and then some vague spec, and now the the developers suffer because it, the intentions are not clear. When will this be done? How good should it be done? By what? By when does it need to be done? Is the deadline realistic, or is the deadline just you know a uh, uh, stop loss? Mm-hmm. Um,
1: Yeah, I I want to add that, especially quality. So you mentioned that you want to become better quality or you you need to to reach better quality. You know, perfectionism is basically a misform of reaching the perfect state. The Mm -hmm. perfect state is not infinite. The perfect state is this defined quality. So quality is absolute, not, not, not relative. Absolute mm-hmm. is uh, sorry, quality is defined by someone, and you need to reach the quality, not over engineer or under engineer. So, yes. you need to reach the quality. This and is the reason why the burgers at McDonald's are by like burgers at yeah. McDonald's and not like they, they have exact
0: specifications of yeah. this is a burger and that's not a burger,
1: exactly. And so, perfectionism is not about perfect, mm-hmm. it's about over engineering, you know. And yes. um, perfect is. Perfect engineered. It's hitting the quality. It's precise. Yes. Exactly. So uh, most of the people I knew understand quality wrong. This is uh, this is something I I I realized. They think absolute maximum
0: possible, maximum to my level of knowledge, and that is not what is desired. Absolutely not, because quality is usually negotiated. I want this steak medium rare. I want this one well done. You know, and and that one I want extra special. And the, this one, I want fries on the side. This one with no salt. This one with a little bit of salt. That's what quality is. the The customer is specifying their best. It shouldn't be. Oh no, the steak always needs to be medium rare. No, quality is you ordered it how it was. You 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 served it how it was ordered. Right. And some some customers say, I want it quick and dirty. I'm experimenting. I'm running a little market experiment with some of my users. I need. The, you know that that's what an MVP used to be. An MVP used to be quick and dirty, done in one week. Building something up with like a collage with Google Forms and just having no-code prototypes. That's what it used to be. But uh, nowadays I see, I don't know, startups entering A-series to build an MVP with a funding of 5 million. And that's silly. That's a lot of wasted effort. Because then what what will they do with that money? Overhire. You know, I tracked, okay, we, we're, we now have 40 engineers. What should they do? Well, they're really expensive. They should crank out as many features as possible. And then and then nobody knows what's going on. So we had another question in a few more minutes about monotasking. Balash is asking, is non-monotasking necessarily a feature factory? So is the absence of monotasking a feature factory? says, I don't think so. Do those people block each other? It also depends. I hear monotasking the first time, but what I see as a huge benefit is this, communication between members, not async, but synchronous, as they have one goal, they have one value stream, even if they work on the different parts. And that's exactly it. Like this one goal, that is the value stream. And even Scrum has this, it's called a sprint goal. You know, a Scrum team is a monotasking unit that's together goes towards the sprint goal and there's only ever one sprint goal the sprint goal might have multiple components you know the sprint goal might be this formula car needs a pit stop and we need to optimize that process now that process requires a tire change a refuel some adjustment it needs a lollipop person to (laughs) to make the entire process safe and communication be be constrained and but that's that's part of the entire value stream, and it should be optimized. What, what do you think?
1: As you said that, that there was coming something like a meta context into my mind. So you have several t- small contexts of sp- very specific tasks. Let's say They're mini let, let,
0: projects within the project, right? So there's yeah. there's a, there's a let, fractal let, element.
1: Let, let's assume a team of two, which is easy. So you have a frontend engineer and a backend engineer, and the idea is. Uh, you you need, you want to have an email field, text field with a submit button, and this should be saved into the database. So yes. So like like a subscribe button on my sub stack. And, <laughs> and you have two developers for that. And you go basically and say, okay, this is one monotask. So this is a task we shall deliver as a team. So you have yes. two subtasks. Um, of creating the UI and uh, maybe uh, another subtask to create the the, the the API layer, which is actually sending the, the request to the server. And the server is taking that because of course, or something like that, you don't need authentication or something like that. And you take it. So you have basically two to three little components, one task, a team, which is in a meta context. So if the one developer is asking the other about his specific context. He doesn't need to switch context. He exactly. is still not it's in not the, not the same world.
0: It's collaboration. Yeah.
1: It's not yes. like, hey, uh, you are actually writing, working on the chat system and you are on the subscription system. This is a context switch. This is yes. basically multitasking at the, at, at, the yes. at the same moment. And so I, I would I would see it like this, actually, that you have okay. actually some kind of overarching context. And as long as you are in this context, everything is fine and everything, or you could name it monotasking. Mm-hmm. As soon as you have several of those meta tasks, which are maybe, a context, which are maybe even connected to other product owners or clients or something like that, you are definitely out of that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Because it's, the worst thing you can do is hand off things, where you can say, I'm monotasking on my self-task and you're mono." monot, the, the, the worst monstrosity, and I've seen this, and I have to admit, I've also encouraged this when I was young and naive and <laughs> following Gitflow. We did it, it had exactly this setup, but we also needed a sysadmin for installing a new Redis server somewhere in the in in the cloud, and product sign-off. So we had a branch for the front end, we had a branch for the back end, we had a branch for the system changes. Then we had a merge branch to have the system changes to be released in advance. Then we had a Feature branch that merged together the bracket branch and the front end branch. And then we reviewed that. And then that we branched together into a release candidate for that branch that depended on the Redis being deployed on the server. So if it took six commits for the two engineers to do, overall in this bloated process, it took about 20 artificial commits to actually push it out. So we worked three, four times needlessly, handing off things and handing back things for no reason. Because we could have just collaborated together on trunk. Mm -hmm. There's no reason to isolate. Because isolation is not desired. What's desired is getting, you know, failing fast. What's desired is I am about to break something. How do I do this so it doesn't break? How do I make it backward compatible? If it's not backward compatible, how do I make it the least necessary pain for everybody else involved Mm -hmm. and if possible i need to pay that pain off now before i continue with this with this feature and that's what continuous integration is about it's about oh i'm about to do something backward incompatible i need to start with that stop the line everybody needs to help me with that and then once we get to the pain i can then be very productive on my feature Mm -hmm. rather than saying oh i'm i'm going on my feature bench to isolate myself Because it contains something painful and then because it contains something painful it gives this illusion that it's safe and then it crams up a lot of features and then the little painful thing will be hiding between all those features because two months from now the requirements will obviously change because it took too long to finish so now the requirements have changed the pain is no longer visible it's no longer expected and then when it goes out into the main branch all hell breaks loose and if you're chasing a tight deadline now you're stressed out you don't have time it is a quality problem. You don't have time to course correct it. And then what happens? Oh yeah, it's shit, but let's create a ticket for it and let's let's fix it after launch. And that's the problem, that's the waste. But it, it happens at the beginning. It happens at the beginning saying, okay, what is the painful bit that isn't backward compatible? We need to start with that. If that is wrong, if that is takes a long time, it needs to go on the roadmap, but we can't do it silently isolated on a branch. True words. That seems like a very natural point to stop on.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Adrian, do you want to push anything? Your substack, your website, how can yes, people if, you, through? Um,
2: if
1: if you like to read or listen about those things, go to my uh, Substack, which is the snackable CTO or snackable CTO. It's basically just my experience there from from the last 15 years of being CTO and tech lead. And I just openly write about that. I write about that on LinkedIn as well. And yeah, I'm always happy to have feedback of yours, just to have the idea of, do you agree? Do you disagree? Because we all learn. So this is my message. We all learn. And I I came into writing because I want to learn from others. I want to learn myself while I'm writing Mm -hmm. and uh, that we all can become better developers, better tech leads, better see something, you know, just to create better products and contribute back to this great community of open source, all these blogs out there, podcasts out there. So I uh, see that as a great family of fellow developers. And this is what I see, what I want to contribute to. And yes, that's that's it, what I want to give today. And thank you very much for having me. That was a great stream, a great conversation, a great questions so far.
0: Thank you for coming. Thank you for taking the time. Everybody in chat, thank you for joining us on this benevolent mission. Adrian, I love the way you phrased that, you know, to better everybody, to serve everybody, to give back to the community. I'm now going to slowly close off the stream. There'll be some elevator music with the Crafting Tech Teams banner sliding around in the bottom. If you want to subscribe to Crafting Tech Teams, that's the one that I'm running. Please feel free. There will be a recap of this on Tuesday. And we are starting a new book club next week in October on Teams of Teams. So generally how to split up a large team the smaller teams and how to create those monotasking units, we'll be joining a roundtable with other tech leads who will be adopting speed reading and uh, reading the book and sharing their insights. So if you want to join, DM me on LinkedIn. Thank you so much for coming today, Adrian, again, thank you for joining me and see you next time. See Cheers. you.
2: Thank you. Bye-bye.